Okay, ready? Clink. Wow. Whoa. Okay, now you clink. Uh, yes. Ooh! Okay, everyone together. Everyone clink at so the It's going to be one, two, three, clink. Okay. One, two, three, clink. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's I fine. Delay on they it. were honestly very nice. Okay. Um, have you told him yet? Told him what? John, you're in charge of the TLDR. He asked. Nice. He asked. Yeah. Okay. I, I came prepared. I made some notes. So. Then I lost them. That's totally fair. We did okay. ours on our phone this time, so you can't lose it. Um. So, welcome to Are You For Real. Today we have a guest, John, not Jonathan. He says Pirates of the Caribbean, not Pirates of the Caribbean. So get it straight. Um. <laughs> Anything else that you'd want to say before you do a TLDR? Um, I want to let everybody know that I'm such a big fan of the show. Oh my god, um, stop! It was, it was my third ranked top podcast, most listened to of 2020. That was really so. exciting, honestly. And let me say, and you can totally give Corey shit, um, she tried to say that her Spotify, our podcast, was ranked number one. And I was like, first of all, you don't listen to podcasts. So that means nothing. <laughs> John, I like how you turned away to like clear your throat when I'm you're talking to us. I'm a professional. Your mic is attached to you, so it didn't help. And we're virtual. No, he's a sassy. Oh, I thought you were using your mic on your no, headphones. he's doing that to hear us. I imagine. I hope so, because this was $120. He's a professional. Wow. He's a professional. So professional. Okay, this sorry, I interrupted you. This is the first time you're using it? For anything that isn't... Yes, this is the first time. I love that. <laughs> I love how you had to think about it. For anything that wasn't those secret recordings. <laughs> what? Yeah. I also yeah. admire the Creed poster in the back. things. Yeah, Apollo Creed's really, he's really either upset or really pumped up in the background. That's the only poster I have in my room. (laughs) It's very conveniently located. (laughs) To be perfectly in frame. I just tried to fix my glasses and I don't have them on. Oh no. It doesn't matter, they're not, you're not recording the actual. I took them off because there's a giant blue square of the computer screen that goes on my glasses. It's only a little bit distracting. Yeah. It's actually the perfect color matching to how the audio waves go up in our recording. Great. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Django Unchained. I'm going to let you guys do your intro. I'm not going to I'm not going to interrupt. Oh, that we, we that was it. She, she did it already. That we're was gonna... it. <laughs> Half the time we forget, so honestly, that's Are we it. We're already doing the show? Yeah. yeah. We're we're live. Well, I mean, we're not. We're not live. We're not live. We're recording. And okay. we, we don't cut out much. This is all staying in. <laughs> okay. Good. I'm glad I didn't say anything embarrassing. N-word, N-word, N-word. Hey, I thought I was doing the T.O.D. Was that it? That was yeah, the, that was that was the, the full thing? Right there. That's a good chunk of that movie. Honestly. Honestly. Okay, okay, do you want us to time you, or do you kind of just want to go for it? How much pressure I, do you want to be under? Like, I have a feeling it's going to be really short. Oh. I'm, I'm gonna keep it vague, and then I figured, like, you know, we, we, we can get to more specific parts throughout. Honestly, something Connor should do. Movie. Connor should stay more vague. <laughs> hey, the people like 
what I'm putting out. Do they, John? He's the people. I'm, I'm a big Connor head. <laughs> and my brother, my brother texts us the day we fucking post this podcast every fucking day. Every like, time. I'm, la- I'm fucking shitting my pants right now. I'm laughing so hard. I'm glad I work Connor at a clothing my, store. Connor is my second favorite member of Are You For Real? <laughs> <laughs> you guys. The first one is Ferris. The first one is Ferris. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start the timer just because okay. I would really like just to have that in the books as like, fuck you, Connor. Yeah, as of course. TLDR recorded thus far on Are You For Real? In history. Okay, ready, set, go. Django Unchained, long story short, slavery bad, Christoph Waltz good, Jamie Foxx good, Leonardo DiCaprio shows up halfway through, N-word, 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 rescues Broomhilda, credits. Wow. Also, Samuel Jackson's old. (laughs) Sam Jackson is very old. (laughs) Wow, that was 21 seconds. I applaud you. That was great. It's 21.17, so. I I loved it because, honestly, that's it. <laughs> that's the movie. And, and I like thank how you Christ- for listening to Are You For Real? <laughs> <laughs> that has been this week's episode. Yep. Um, I love that you said Christopher Waltz first because he's honestly the best thing about any Quentin Tarantino movie that he's in. He's the best part. Period. <laughs> It's kind of weird that in a movie that deals so heavily in slavery and is named after the enslaved character, Django, Christoph Waltz, the white German guy, kind of just steals the show the entire time. I mean... That's the best part about him, because you don't expect it. steals the show in every movie he's in. Yeah. That's fair. Because you don't expect it, because you're like, what a little dorky dude, and then you're like, whoa, what's happening in my pants right now, you know? One of my coworkers today literally said, if they ever make a movie of my life, I want Christoph Waltz to play me no matter what age I am. A baby, <laughs> an adult, a super old man, I don't care. Christoph Waltz plays me every time. They it's... can bring him back now, too. They have the technology, they have the de-aging... Oh, they, they do. The, the holograms. But it's yeah. kind of, like, creepy, honestly. Like, Some of these the, studios that do the de-aging need to go talk to, like, video game studios to yeah. learn how to do character models. Well, whoever made Rogue One clearly did talk to the video game guys. Because yes. Tarkin looked yes. like he was out of a PS2 game, so. Yes. That, so I ask you agreed. guys a question as the hosts. What? This is something it's something I was thinking of. Can I ask you guys a question? Yes. Absolutely. Do you think Django Unchained is about slavery? No. No. Because I don't. I don't either. I feel like I feel like slavery is not the subject of this movie. It is more of just the general backdrop. It's like the setting. Yeah. Sure. I mean, even even in the beginning, they straight up make sure to tell you as if the scarred backs of the black men being (laughs) walked in chains wasn't enough hey this takes place two years before the civil war yeah they're like hey for all you german people that really showed up for the christoph waltz movie uh (laughs) this is two years before the civil war in america good which the rest of the world doesn't care about so yeah that said 
I did kind of enjoy, like, Tarantino still does the thing where he, like, he wants you to know, like, hey, I, I have something to say about enslavement in America, I guess. Yeah, like a social, Waltz. like, comment yeah. on stuff, yeah. I liked when Christoph Waltz was talking to Django at one point about bounty hunting. I think he was explaining it to him. I forget because I watched it, like, two weeks ago, <laughs> I'm being totally honest. <laughs> well, that's why the notes are lost. He basically equates the slave trade to bounty hunting in yes. terms of dealing flesh for cash and everything else. And it's like, okay, Tarantino, I know you're, I know you have to address yeah. slavery. And he's like, yeah, but one's alive and bounty hunting, this flesh is dead. Yeah. But he also says at one point too, like then, I don't know if it's like at the same time, but then Django says something like, oh, I get to kill, like, white men? Like, of course I'm in. So then it's kind of like, oh, like, now we're even. Yeah, he's game. Oh, yeah. yeah. White people suck, though, right? For sure. Fuck white people. There's an interesting point where he's talking, when he's first talking to Django about, like, trying to bring him on and, like, help him out, where he's like, I really hate this slavery business, but... I have, like, a proposition for you, and it's really convenient if you can't say no. Like, that's paraphrasing for sure, but he says something along those lines, like, I really would need your help for this, and if you're not in the position to reject it, that's great. I don't like that that's the thing that we're in right now, but sure. Yeah. But he's getting paid for it. So, I mean, he's also not saying no. Like, he is free. More like endangered servitude. Kind of. That you... I do really... I like the... Because, I, you know, Christoph Waltz obviously kind of steals the entire movie. Yeah. But at the same time, I think Jamie Foxx kind of doesn't always get the credit he deserves. He's great in the movie, I think. Oh, yeah. in that scene in particular... I remember him making just, like, an expression that almost kind of seemed like the face, like, very convincingly the face of a man who has never been offered a deal before. Yeah. So, I was actually thinking that, and I have it written down for later, but we can talk about it now, because Kat and I jump around all the time. Yeah. Um, Is he portrays it, Jamie Foxx portrays it so well of, like... When he's reading, of not knowing super how to read. Oh, yeah, I think I wrote that down, Or when he's, like, too. you know, talking about... When Christoph Waltz is talking about different, like, subjects and will refer to things in a certain way, he's like, what's that? And it's like, it seems so genuine that he doesn't actually... He's never fucking heard this concept before. Yeah, like, he's not acting. Like, yeah. it's so genuine. Yeah, it seems so genuine. Like, he did a really great job of actually acting out like he was that sheltered as like someone who was a slave would be yeah him like even in that same scene in the saloon him taking a sip of the beer and having the face of someone who has probably never had a beer before yeah yeah to do that convincingly enough to play that role okay john about the beer i'm almost positive this is the only movie i've ever seen where they have the little like head scrapey thing mm-hmm. like but apparently like i've asked people after this and known people who've like bartended in the past that's a legit thing that's in like every bar and yet it's but never portrayed in a movie ever it's funny you bring that up because i think i remember watching that scene and this was 
this was me going back and just rewatching that scene on YouTube or something. So this is probably somebody on the internet who knows nothing about what they're talking about. Like me. It's us. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to say they mentioned that it's especially prominent in German Hmm. bars. That would make sense. Makes sense for his character. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But Tarantino is just really good at making food and or drink look really good and just interesting to watch in his movies yeah Yeah, like that milkshake from pulp fiction that was like a huge thing i should watch pulp fiction yeah like that five dollar we haven't seen it either i've we watched it Uh, we barely watched it we watched it enough to say that we watched it and we were underwhelmed because everybody like says how amazing it is and then we like watched it too late and now i don't know if we can enjoy it have you guys, I don't want to, I, I mean, I'm not going to try and derail this too much, but have you guys watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I hated yes. it. Ugh. I didn't a... hate it, but it, compared to other Tarantino movies, it really let me down. I liked, I, I liked sections of it, but as a whole, I didn't enjoy it because I thought that it would be more about like the Manson stuff. And that was just like a side story. And I was low-key devastated that there wasn't more murders going on. Yeah, I think... I wanted that to be more of a center stage. And I don't think that, like, going in, I understood what it was about. So I was Yeah, I think we definitely went into it in the wrong frame of mind and had, like, a misconception about the movie. So I think that played a lot into how we thought the movie was. I watched that movie three times in theaters. Whoa, in In theaters? theaters? Yeah, absolutely. That's like $34. That was me going into it expecting just the ultimate chill-out movie, I guess. Yeah. And I was just totally down for Brad Pitt driving his car around for 45 minutes with neon signs in the background or whatever else. That but does sound soothing. Because there's the really good scene of Brad Pitt making food in his trailer for mm-hmm. him and his dog. Yes! Doesn't he have, like, spam or something like that? And there's, like fucking craft macaroni and cheese or some shit or it's like a like can of food. The dog food into the bowl and it spills over and <laughs> everything and it's like disgusting looking but also like I would try that dog food. A oh, masterpiece. Yeah. Um so okay, John. Yes. First thing I wrote down and I feel like everyone's probably picked it out at this point is in like the first main scene with the Speck brothers when they go through when he shot the speck brothers and christoph waltz tells him to go get the coat and everything and jamie fox gets the coat and then steps on the horse of the other brother it's not the speck brothers he just kills them because they're not complying with the speck brothers are at the actual plantation no that was the brittle brothers wasn't it yeah brittle's the oh he did need to kill those people what are you talking about the first opening scene? Yeah. Who are these people? They're just slavers. They're not actually... The two brothers. Keep in mind, though, he, he was acting in self-defense. Yeah. He was. But so, he didn't need to kill those people. Like, they weren't on his list of people to kill. No. Okay, so I, I probably just got the name wrong. Yeah. The thing I wrote down was, after Jamie Foxx steps on the horse on that broken guy's... That guy's broken leg, he, like, does the super quick tiptoe. Like, ooh, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. But it was super oh, fun. Yeah. That's, that quick tiptoe is like so universal 
Yeah. And stands out to me every single time of like, oh, I did a thing I wasn't supposed to do. I got to get back over here where I'm supposed to be. I've never noticed that. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. It stick. It stuck out to me the very first time I watched it. I feel like this is just going to be us talking about Quentin Tarantino-isms and like how amazingly small how details are great. moments are so good. That's okay um, I don't remember what scene this is in. I feel like it's the bar scene, like, at the beginning, which also is amazingly written because of the banter between, um, Waltz and then, like, first the bar tap and then the marshal and then the whatever. Not the marshal, but the... So then the sheriff. The sheriff and then, and the, then the marshal. marshal. Like, just their banter. Like, the next step are, up. like, federal and... Um, sheriffs or state but Django goes what kind of dentist are you and then Christoph Waltz just like does this weird giggle he's like <laughs> and it's like so precious Despite and I love it part, so much I haven't practiced dentistry in five years it's so cute and I love it so much I'm just like he's like I think he's like one of my top five daddies I, he's on the list somewhere I have a he's daddy's on, list he's on fucking my list um, but I wrote also that, like, everything is so intelligent in this movie. Like, not that you have to be super smart to understand what's happening, but the writing, you can understand, but unless you're really paying attention, you'll miss a lot of, like, the small quips. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah, I, I feel like Tarantino and a lot of his movies kind of, the dialogue feels not totally natural Mm -hmm. but it all still feels believable because everybody is speaking in this this like one step removed from how a normal human talks and sometimes in the interest of you know setting like alluding to things or foreshadowing or doing callbacks throughout which is probably yeah like the rewarding part of like really digging into those scenes and having them address aspects of it later on yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, Kat and I discovered it in Inglorious Bastards, but it's true to every Tarantino movie that each rewatch, the movie gets funnier. Yeah. Until you pick up small until, things. Until, like, you're almost just watching a comedy movie. Like, Again, yeah. It's, it's, it's just such a Tarantino thing with all these little quips the little moments like the dialogue like you were talking about yeah because it is kind of like you said one step removed and can feel kind of awkward at times it just adds to that weird funny tension that when you aren't just trying to learn what the story is and you can pay more attention to that it just makes the movies hilarious yeah Again, I watched this maybe two weeks ago, but before that, I want to say I watched it at most a month ago. And when I was talking to you guys about doing this, I wanted to do this because I wanted to rewatch this movie again, <laughs> yeah. just to re-experience it all over again. Was yeah. that the first time that you'd? Is that the first time that you'd watched it a month ago? No, that was the first time I watched it. Since I saw it in theaters, I want to say. Whoa. Cat and I probably... We watch it like every couple months. Cat and I probably watch it 10 times a year. (laughs) At least. Since it came out. I always... Again, having not seen it in so long, I kind of forgot that there were, I guess, as many dialogue-heavy scenes as there were. Because that's 
what I always enjoy about Tarantino movies in, for the ones I've seen. That's why I really liked The Hateful Eight. Yeah. But I remember, because I, and this didn't help, I guess. I remember seeing The Hateful Eight in theaters the night it came out. And after the movie, we went into the lobby and one of the workers came up to us and he was like, oh, what did you think? And we're like, oh, or I, I think I told him like, yeah, I loved it. Like, it was awesome. And he was like, yeah, I thought it was good, but kind of boring. And I think Django Unchained is still by far the best Tarantino movie. Hmm. And then he proceeded to tell me that Attack of the Clones is his favorite Star Wars movie because he got to see Yoda use a lightsaber. Well, said, well, so we don't trust that man's this opinion. This is just a garbage person. That kind of soured me on Django Unchained for a while. <laughs> that honestly makes, like, so much sense. I wouldn't trust that guy's opinion, like, no. at all. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, I so that was the that was the reason why, because Yoda uses a lightsaber. That's, like, I mean, the that saving scene, grace of that movie. That scene is amazing because you get the juxtaposition of Yoda walking up with, with his cane, cane being all yeah. frail and shit and being all frail and old this entire movie and then just doing fucking somersaults the whole time and then he does this thing and goes back to the cane so it's a really awesome scene but I mean, look, it doesn't we, make up for the rest of it if we're about to yeah. start talking about Yoda using a lightsaber then this is going to be like a four hour podcast <laughs> okay. because I am, I am livid about that on all fronts wow I think it completely goes against him as a character and what he represented in the movies That's but fair. that said <laughs> but, Django Unchained also great soundtrack yes really great soundtrack so i have written down later and I'm it's not... like hippie 70s desert vibes while also and then there's like there's rick ross thrown in there isn't yeah there? okay that's what i wrote down because i'm not a huge rap fan but that little section of that rick ross song is so awesome and just that scene too, it just the way it kicks in yeah it just like what it, scene is that when they're first riding to the plantation that's the 100 black that black oh coffee song. yeah 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 when he's in the blue suit no he's not in the blue suit he's at the blue suit uh at the oh, first plantation Candyland. when they're riding to candy oh, 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 is when okay. the rick ross song the black coffee song okay got it so yeah i literally wrote that down that despite not generally liking rap that song is so awesome and it just hits so good on that scene is it like a specific mix for the movie though like is the um, song actually like that i think that's just like legit the song i mean i don't know i want, I want to say there were because i in the after spoilers i guess <laughs> after christoph waltz's character dies and he has that shootout doesn't it i don't know if it's rick ross because i i'm bad at knowing any musical artists that aren't the five that I listen to. Right. But it does kick in with, like, another contemporary artist mixing in, like, the Western yeah. orchestral work that that movie has. And that yeah. was... I don't know if it's original for the movie or if it was, you know, cut together in such a way, but just all of that stuff. I remember after I rewatched this, I was driving around just listening to this soundtrack but the soundtrack does the thing where it, in between tracks, has dialogue from the movie. Oh, yeah. And one of those tracks is a racist white man just kind of spouting 
certain racial slurs. So you're just riding around Florida, <laughs> blasting racist <laughs> white man. Be, I should be careful about listening to this because I don't want this to show up in my most played at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a. Great but idea. honestly, riding around in Florida with that, it kind of tracks. Yeah, I mean, you know, people were giving me a thumbs up as I drove by. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, one of the other things, just, like, skipping forward, I wrote down was... Yeah, go ahead. Fucking skip forward. Not like I have shit to say. <laughs> would you like to go? I would love to. Thank you. Floor is all yours. Wow. Okay, one thing... Wait, so... I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, one thing... That is really big for this movie that I love is the the whole Broomhilda myth. I think that it's amazing and that's basically like, I feel like this movie is just like a 1860s version of like that myth, which like that's what the movie's about. It's like not slavery. It's, it's a love story in like a weird roundabout way and like oh, yeah. true Quentin Tarantino style where everybody's head gets blown off. Um... So I love that. Also, when they go to the first plantation where he's wearing the blue suit, the horse, he, um, Waltz is, like, introducing everybody, and then he also introduces the horse, and the horse, like, does a bow, and I think that that's really cute, and I love that for him. Oh, the, uh, what was Christoph Waltz's horse name? Like, Fritz. Fritz. <laughs> I feel like that's so classically German. <laughs> you know it was effective uh, storytelling that all three of us knew the horse's name. Yeah. Um, and then before we also move on, um, I love, okay, so the, the slave girl that shows Django around that plantation where, okay, well, and also when Big Daddy's trying to tell her how to treat Django. (laughs) So you want me to treat him like a white man? No. No. (laughs) That's not what I said. I also love that scene because... Christoph Waltz, when he asks that, Christoph Waltz starts. He starts to say yes. Yeah. 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 He's like, Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that I feel like that dialogue is like very cleverly written. Um, But then when she's like showing him around the plantation, she goes, that's the big house. They call it that because it's big. (laughs) And I just like everything that comes out of this girl's mouth, like cracks me up. Thanks for that. It's just so, it's so funny when it really, and I feel like that's Quentin Tarantino movies too, is like everything that's funny should really, really not be funny, but that's like true Quentin Tarantino style is like, it is funny. Yeah. And he's just good at directing actors, I think in general too, just getting performances out of them. I mean, like setting the the, like mindset. Yeah. DiCaprio literally cuts his hand open. I wrote that down. Yeah. I just wrote the famous DiCaprio hand moment. (laughs) How the fuck did he not get an Oscar for that? Okay. We all, we all know. He's been fucking. Anyways. Okay. How far ahead are you going to skip? Snowy snow. Okay. You're okay. Hold on one second. So then the next best written scene is the like KKK raid where yes. the they all fucking get snappy and bitchy about the hoods and then you forget that Jonah Hill is in it so that's funny and then i just love the banter 
where he goes, oh, man, I fucking ripped mine. And then he's like, y'all got any more hoods? And they're like, no, I don't have any more fucking hoods. an extra bag. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, don't ask me, me or mine for anything. And all I'm hearing is criticize, yeah. criticize, criticize. <laughs> don't is, ask me or like mine that, for nothing. <laughs> that's kind of, and again, that kind of reminds me of in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, there was the whole thing about that movie is that, you know, leading up to the night that Sharon Tate is murdered by the Manson family. And obviously in that movie, that doesn't end up happening. And Tarantino kind of rewrites history. Yeah. And I feel like you can see that as like disrespectful to those events, which I don't think it is. Or you can see it as him basically getting one over on the Manson family taking away that power saying no fuck you guys yeah and so i think the the kkk scene kind of does that similar thing where it's like hmm. no yeah fine we'll show you know kkk members but they're gonna look stupid as fuck like yeah yeah 100 because it's all just like oh we're gonna do a raid and we're gonna kill these people and that guy's black so we're gonna kill him but it's like no but really like why just because like you're somehow offended they killed a wanted white man? Yeah. They were working within the law. Like, it's like an ego thing. the perfect excuse to inflict all kinds of fantastic violence on these people because nobody should sympathize with these people because they're reprehensible assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be the guy arguing that they maybe should have gone easier on the racist, slave-owning right. white man. Yeah, for sure. I do like that point about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I think that's why I was like, up, not upset. That sounds like, man, I wish you would have got murdered. But, <laughs> like, get murdered. but like at the same time, I was like, wait, that's not right. But I do like that that's kind of like, it's like that new thing where like, oh, somebody again oh a white man shot up another movie theater and all we do is talk like give out his name and yada 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 so that's like that whole thing where like no we need to talk about the actual victims and not the fucking perpetrator because then it makes them feel like oh i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna get recognized for it and i'm gonna be famous but like just not even saying their name takes that away from them sure so even even in that movie the, uh, the 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 whole thing with that, like I've said it before, but in maybe no other movie did I have so many conflicting emotions at the end of a like a movie. Just because in that moment you're thrilled because fuck the Manson family, you want yeah. to see them get their heads bashed in by Brad Pitt as Leonardo DiCaprio torches another one with a flamethrower. That's my favorite part. Time, like, <laughs> you almost feel uncomfortable for indulging in this excessive amount of violence. And at the yeah. same time, it, it's almost like depressing in a way, because obviously this isn't what happened. And yeah, Sharon Tate, who is at least a real person was actually murdered. And I don't, you know, I don't think Django Unchained necessarily accomplishes that. I think it's just fun to see KKK members getting what they deserve. Yeah. Blown up. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, I just think Tarantino, for all the crap he usually gets about excessive violence in movies and everything else, he not only earns it in this movie, Mm -hmm. just by virtue of what has happened across history, but he also 
all the scenes with the actual enslaved people sort of i think he he treats them with kind of the sophistication that they deserve i feel like he doesn't indulge in the violence against slaves he isn't like 100 percent very matter of factly i guess yeah like, like, yeah comfortable but like with um d'artagnan and he makes it a point to make christoph waltz super uncomfortable that they're inflicting this kind of violence mm-hmm. on this slave to where he includes it in the narrative that Christoph Waltz is extremely uncomfortable yeah, and like green around the gills and while also framing like the callousness that a lot of these slaves feel towards the violence because it's so it's common. It's so normal for them, yeah. That, you know, that's why Django is able to just sit there and watch all of it because he's he's seen it a thousand times it's not and then specifically points out that this is you know yes slavery went on elsewhere but the extremes it went to in america were fairly unique and they point that out saying that he's just not used to americans yeah Hmm. and i think even even in that moment that kind of in a way i think foreshadows christoph waltz's death just because you kind of get the idea that he has been at this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And he, again, the whole premise of them going to Candyland is to get Broomhilda. They're posing as Mandingo fighting yeah. Yeah. people or whatever else. And Christoph Waltz almost compromises that, the one who's supposed to be the professional, because he doesn't want to see this man eaten alive by dogs. Yeah, And so it's only Django who sort of reins him in in that moment. Yeah, And then later on, Christoph Waltz, when he has to accept the deal with DiCaprio, sort of just says, you know what, man? Fuck you. Like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And, like, I feel like, I mean, people come at Tarantino, like you said, about, like, all of his excessive violence. But, like, when you can weave a story that's this intricate and has that amazingness of, like, dialogue and character building and like you can do whatever you want because it's all balanced out it's not like it's literally just a fucking it's not saw by like saw seven you know what i mean like it's not saw five where it's like oh cool we started like this really intricate story but by movie five like fuck it none of the character backgrounds even matter anymore we're just gonna do whatever we want to what and to your point like it's balanced like you could probably sit there and break out the timing of the movie there's probably equal amount of just people talking Mm -hmm. and just straight dialogue people standing still talking not even doing anything as there is gratuitous violence yeah it's the pacing in general yeah super well done and i think you know I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Tarantino is some, like, auteur who's, like, a master craftsman. Yeah, he's not Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) People get really mad about that. I life to go to a movie theater during a pandemic to watch Tenet. We did. We did. Oh, no. We saw Tenet in the theater. It was really good. Mm, Anyway. (laughs) like Tarant- I, I'm not going to sit here and say like Tarantino is some unspoken genius. He makes really good movies. Yeah. But I feel like his, you know his whole thing is that like he 
he injects so much of himself into the movies yeah. to where he can put a Rick Ross song in a Western. He can And it have fits, yeah. Yeah. These weird, weirdly comedic moments right before excessive bloodshed, right before emotionally poignant moments. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've seen one tarantino movie you know the tone like yeah. his, his whole thing is like tone and like you said pacing if you've seen one tarantino movie and you just randomly show someone another tarantino movie and don't tell them who it's they're gonna by, know they're gonna be like yeah this feels like a tarantino movie yeah by the time a character starts excessively bleeding from their neck at the very least <laughs> when the movie goes black and white because there's so much blood yeah. you know it's a tarantino movie but i also love that because it's like one you know exactly what you're getting like you're watching a tarantino movie like you're gonna have good dialogue and you're gonna have a lot of violence and blood great and i like that because like he owns it like he goes in and he's just like these are the movies that i make and you can either not like it or like you can like it or not but like this is what i make and this is what i enjoy to make like yeah don't come watch it if you don't like these movies he's one of the few directors that i think hasn't really pandered to critics audience whatever that he just keeps making the movies he wants to make yeah and he's he's kind of one of the few directors who can do that i think to an extent just because he's earned it at this point like yeah when he's earned it in so few movies it's crazy yeah i imagine so many directors would like to make stuff that is a bit more nuanced than you know i love marvel movies but yeah no one goes to college wanting to make iron man movies yeah they're pretty standard yeah i think In a world where so much stuff that is coming out of Hollywood or whatever is that is very bland. Yeah. Like the night I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they were running an encore screening of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home, Toy Story 4, and the live action Lion King. Ew. That was also playing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I remember watching it and I was like, please, Tarantino, keep making movies. Because the rest of the otherwise everything is the fucking same or on like bland ass or fucking remakes well because i mean or sequels tarantino is following a really similar arc to every other movie but he does it he presents it in such a different way and lets you get involved as the viewer in such a different way by portraying the things that other directors are afraid to portray like the kkk stuff but then does it in a slightly awkward comedic way a way that kind of lets the disenfranchised party get back a little bit at the other party which makes it a little bit more palatable for a viewer so it's like just edgy enough that you feel like yeah like he's doing it but it's not so off the wall that it won't appeal to a main audience. Like, he's really found that balance. Yeah. Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, none of them are all that complicated plot-wise. Like, Django Unchained is a revenge story mixed with a love story. Hateful Eight is a whodunit, basically, like a murder mystery kind of thing. But it's because of those characters in those movies where, you know, again... 
we remember the name of Christoph Waltz's horse. Right. Because yeah. that is part of his character. He obviously cares about his horse. And his horse has character for what it's worth. And so yeah. it really is extracting those performances from the actors and the clever ways in which he gives even simpler characters so much to work with and so much depth. What? And just making people memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So literally the next thing I had written down was the yeah. main guy that he goes to when he completes a bounty and brings the bodies to. I don't know where he lies in the chain of bounty hunting, but he says, come on out of the snowy snow. And then when we were watching the credits, he's literally in the credits as like bounty hunter guy, parentheses, snowy snow because <laughs> they knew that was the line people are going to remember yeah so that's what the viewers are gonna correlate this guy with oh the guy that said snowy snow i know exactly what you're talking about yeah or how inconsequential that character actually is the fact <laughs> yeah. that he has something memorable about him as yeah exactly yeah. these tiny characters there. have something super memorable okay so let's take a second um to stop sucking tarantino's dick um (laughs) so hard not connor take a step back um can we just really quickly talk about how crazy the wild west is i wrote down Okay, this sounds stupid but i wrote down the wild west is wild man you could rob a bunch of stuff and then just start a farm? Like, how is this guy finding all of these other guys? Is he just interviewing people around town? But honestly, he's getting, like, the bounty forms, which already is crazy that they have this shitty drawing of what these people look like with what they've done and, like, what their bounty reward is. And you're somehow just supposed to find this person. Like, I've, what? I've thought about the idea of trying to commit some kind of grand extravagant crime and disappear. I don't think and you could do it these days. In think, well, yeah, especially not now, but even then, I feel like, you know, I played Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, you're super knowledgeable about the Wild West. It <laughs> seems like even back then, because you could cover so little distance via mm. horse or whatever mm-hmm. else, you're obviously not going very far, so there's a smaller geographic region. But also just, you know, if you leave witnesses, somebody's eventually going to catch you, right? Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. But you could go in any direction. But they're like. Did you go left, right? Backwards, forwards? But there wasn't that much in any direction. Yeah, but literally, like, okay, so the South, most of it's not even on a fucking map because it's nobody's property. See, but then you have the thing where it's like. You go to the town and you talk to the saloon guy and he says, or you say like, hey, I'm looking for a guy that matches this description. And he says, I ain't seen him in six months, but this fella came in here not two weeks ago talking about how he passed a farm way out west that had no business even being there. And you say, maybe this guy's on that farm. Yeah. Turns out he is. And Django doesn't want to shoot him because he's out there with his kid, which is just a nice moment, even though that guy probably deserves it. Yeah, yeah. super precious. Um, but yeah, that just, it just sounds 
like a lot of work. Okay. And it's not like you can fastly get to this town. Like you gotta fucking take a two week carriage ride to this town and then you gotta find the right person to fucking talk to. Like what if you just by chance miss the right person to talk to and then it throws you six months off your course? Like it just it sounds like a lot of work. But at the same time there are so few places to get supplies to where okay, I found out he went east. 10 days ago i know based on whoever i talked to said he was just riding a horse just saddlebags he's got like three days he's gonna have to hit this town he's gonna have to resupply to this motherfucker over here because he's the only goddamn person that's got fucking rice cakes for your horse horses don't eat rice cakes hey it's a red dead redemption callback john knows horses Horses eat a lot of stuff, it turns out. <laughs> so, I know he's gonna go to this guy to get fucking rice cakes. I mean. So, I'm gonna be like, hey, who's the last motherfucker that bought rice cakes who matched this general description? Yeah, but it's also the 18-somethings, and people are dumb and drunk all the time. <laughs> it means they'll tell you even faster. If they remember, their fucking whole, like midlife crisis is at 17 years old you want to know what though when you've got nothing going on day to day you're gonna remember something happening (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm a stay-at-home mom and all my days fucking merge together (laughs) if that one person shows up that you don't recognize you're gonna remember that you didn't recognize that person (laughs) that's a good point yeah if you were like i still remember shitty substitute teachers i had oh boy I don't remember anything. Childhood trauma, thank you. So, one of the other (laughs) (laughs) big things I wrote down was Leo's character references Christoph Waltz's character's beard like three separate times in this movie. He's super into it. What was kind of cool about that, too, I'm sure this was maybe just a script rewrite at some point, but I also did the thing where I rewatched the scene of him cutting his hand during his big phrenology speech or whatever else. Love that speech. In the the original script, I guess, the beard line isn't even in there. So either DiCaprio did just straight up improv that line or it got rewritten at some point just to... Because it's such a weird one-off. Yeah. But it sounds like something that Tarantino would probably just write in. I feel like because... Of DiCaprio specifically mentioning it multiple times. I feel like it's something DiCaprio made a conscious choice and was like, this guy's beard is so fucking awesome. I'm going to make sure and mention it in my fucking scenes multiple times throughout the movie. Not just a bunch of times at once. I'm going to just pepper it in. I do also just like the, speaking of that scene, the fact that even though you're not going to sympathize with Calvin Candy as a character at all. The guy who is racist and a plantation owner and possibly banging his sister yes. on the side. Yes. I feel like that's the biggest unanswered question in that movie. And she's old and ugly. I'm sorry. But even though like even though you're not going to sympathize with him, again, like this I don't think 
this is a movie about slavery, but it is very much entrenched in the idea of slavery. Yeah. yeah. And Tarantino gives DiCaprio that moment for his character to at least justify his beliefs by yeah. citing the idea of phrenology about the outdated science of genetics determining who is a superior race and everything else. Mm-hmm. Especially when you had earlier in the movie Big Daddy, where he just sort of Schultz and Django show up on his plantation, kill the Brittle brothers, and then Big Daddy is unceremoniously killed and you don't really know anything about him, except that he's super down for the KKK and everything else. So the fact that Candy gets so much screen time and they at least give him a chance to justify his shitty beliefs is nice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is Leo and it is like the big, like, not finale but like the big what is it when they're like up at the top of the hero's journey thank you um so it makes sense that he gets that but i do appreciate that like speech that he gives because that is science that they thought was real back then like that's very much like time appropriate so i do like I mean, I'm really into historical dramas. Like, even the shitty, like, period pieces on, like, Hulu and shit. Like, or, like, the Tudors. I fucking love the Tudors. And most of it's very inaccurate, but I like watching it because I know that it's inaccurate. Like, I like it for the costumes and the drama and, like, the raunchy sex scenes. Costumes. The costumes. But, like, I like how that was input into the movie and it was like 100% like a real thing that people believed. Yeah. Just actually acknowledging the time in which the movie is set. Exactly. As opposed to just kind of using it as this idea, basically this abstract idea. Yeah. It helps you like feel more like this is a real, like a true story because it's, you feel like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, in the time. (laughs) So, right after that scene is a really great quote from Samuel Jackson. Which, yeah, let's talk about how fucking sassy he is. He is the sassiest. So, when he's trying to get Calvin to come talk to him in the library about um, Christoph Waltz and Django, and he's all... I don't understand why you won't just come talk to me. <laughs> like, when she gets fucked up around here, you blame me. <laughs> like, that's such... Retail. <laughs> that's something everyone who's not been the CEO can identify with. <laughs> like, when shit's fucked up, you blame me. So I don't know why you won't take one fucking second to come talk to me about why shit's fucked up. Because it wasn't fucking me. It's just such a relatable yeah. little seemingly like probably throwaway line because he like half mumbles it as he's walking away from the table but like resonated so much with me from like my days of retail and shit like that and mm-hmm. i'm just like oh my god that's so fucking true well and he's so sassy and when they get there i like the like juxtaposition of like samuel l jackson as basically what Django has already said in previous scenes as like one of the worst kinds of black people because they're siding with the white family. Um, but he comes in and he goes like, why is that guy on that mare? And then 
what he says hey cotton ball first of all hilarious like if you're gonna ask a question you can fucking ask me a question and he goes wait what the fuck like you're talking to me like a white person talks to me like i love that juxtaposition of characters as well because it's like you think in this like slavery setting movie black people would be for black people but like as Django said before like if you're what does he say about like the mandangos like a black slaver is like the worst kind of slaver right doesn't he say yeah, something he like said that it's the lowest of the low yeah. it's even lower than the head house n-word yeah which is supposed to mean that's the second lowest to the low which is what which is what Sam samuel jackson l jackson is. is yeah so it's like interesting because he um like i wrote down and i'm obviously this was just like this is something that happened all the time but it's like how is it that you will sit there and like basically ruin another person's life just to help out the family that you're loyal to but you're loyal to them because you're owned by them like it's just like crazy logic i think it's really cool because it shows like that there was still like that human aspect the just like hierarchy of power right that the second just felt like innate power you use it against other people on everyone else so sam jackson's character is enacting that power and then getting another powerful figure he's threatened by it like you know you look at all like the shows you were talking about and all the podcasts we listen to that like the second someone's threatened shit gets fucking crazy yeah they threaten their little itty bit of power that they have even if it's something like super tertiary like him just being the head house slave yeah even talking about like the hierarchies is interesting because this is something that more so manifested under like i guess flat out colonialism i guess when you had enslaved peoples of you know color black women black men everything else white women who were technically above black men and women but Mm -hmm. were still below white men where you do Mm -hmm. have all of these sort of assigned roles essentially yeah which is why and this this might just be reading too much into it in general but the fact that schultz and Django throughout the movie are also adopting roles to where when they go to big daddy's plantation at first schultz says hey you're gonna pose as you know my chauffeur basically and i'm posing as a guy looking to right. buy some slate yeah we're gonna go to Candyland, and we're posing as mandingo fighting purchasers or whatever else and it's it was interesting to me that you do have that emphasis on roles with sam jackson's character being above or be, yeah, being below DiCaprio, but still above all of his actual slaves and everything else. Yeah. And you have these two characters basically adopting roles of their own agency. I, right. Like, yeah. Sam Jackson's character is like that shitty, annoying nephew that is <laughs> like a narcs piece on everybody. Shit, <laughs> but they're technically family, so you have to treat them nice. And you're just like, well, yeah, I guess so, but fuck you. Yeah. The only thing that was kind of a bummer to me was the fact that Broomhilda doesn't really have all that much to do. Yeah. Yes. I literally was like, okay, so like literally until like you see like flashback scenes and then there's like some scenes where he's like imagining her, like where they're in like that hot spring. 
And then you do not fucking see her until the last, like, 15% of the movie. And she has, like, five speaking lines. And that's, I think, kind of a bummer just because I feel like black women, especially under enslavement, sort of occupied a super complicated position under yeah. those hierarchies and everything else where yeah. not only you're not just of color, you are not just a woman who is also, you know, subjugated or anything else. Right, you but you're both. Two separate things with, yeah. that are intersecting at all times. And so she has the capacity to be a very interesting character, but kind of for how well Tarantino writes so many of his characters kind of gets left by the wayside a bit. Yeah, like, I wish we could have seen, like, her taking more agency. Like, yeah, we see her, like, trying to run away a bunch and, like, all of this stuff with her, like, getting in the hot box. But it's kind of like, okay, but, like, you don't, like, understand her as a character. Like, you don't get her as a character. You only... She is spirited and rebellious, but short of that... And you only get that because you have Django's flashbacks. You don't get that because she's her own character. You get that because of somebody else's, like, memory of her. Yeah. Sure. Um, But, yeah, that's, like, super true because, like, I mean, and when you think of it, too, like, so, like, women got, I mean, I don't remember the exact amendments, but, like, women worked with like black men to for men to black men to get the right to vote and then they started like their well they already had it but like then they focused more on their movement of women getting the right to vote but it's like then you have black women who are like where do I fit in like am I black am I a woman like which one am I like feeling yeah. There was the, the misconception at one point that feminism meant all women. Right. And that, you know, white women just kind of assumed that black women had the exact same experiences as them. Yes. And so that's kind of, obviously that has proven not to be the case. Right. Yeah. But. Yeah, which, yeah, it's just nutty because then you watch movies like The Help and you're like, how is this, how are you even in the same ballpark? Yeah, like, how can you think that this is the same whatsoever? Like, this is, you guys have zero of the same experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it would be cool if we saw, like. More her. Well, and just more of her, like, fighting. Because, like you said, we see her run away. We see... Well, we don't even see her run away. We see the repercussions of her running away. And, like... Yeah. She's got the runaway R already. So, it's, like, we're meant to believe she's spirited and, like, you know, strong-willed and wants to get away. But then, like... But, like, why? Jamie Foxx's character is doing this whole fucking movie that we've seen doing all this fucking shit to get out to do to get back to her get back to her the second he gets the slightest opportunity when he first meets christoph waltz and we don't get to see any of her side to try and get back to him obviously it's what she's trying to do when she runs away and gets in the hot box but you assume you have to assume yeah i mean it's never said yeah 
So it would be cool. And then, like, when you do see her, there's a lot of things that are done that kind of, like, I think play into her, like, femininity and stuff. But play, show her as, like, a little bit of a weaker character. Like, when she sees Django, she faints. When, at the very end, when he blows up the house, she plugs her ears while he stands and just, like, the explosion goes on around him. And he just stands, not plugging his ears or anything piece of the house are falling next to him like it just portrays her as a weaker character in several different instances okay first of all you didn't need to hit me second of all that's also like the time like they were fainting couches for women like they're playing into like the setting the setting of the yeah. movie yeah and i guess the the sort of best way to chalk that up is the fact that the whole movie, like like you guys mentioned, sort of harkens back to the German myth of Broomhilda and everything else that Christoph Waltz was so smitten with. Yeah. And maybe that is Tarantino explicitly underwriting this character to some extent to sort of feed into the idea of the myth of the maiden or whoever who has to be rescued by yeah. the hero. Yeah. And also that... Maybe that's what makes her so, like, untouchable, too, is that you don't know anything about her. Yeah. So maybe that just keeps it, like... Yeah, I was thinking that a little bit, too. Like, there is something to, the, like, the mystique of yeah. that, that I mean, there's at least some weight to that as to why it could have been written that way. Sure. That yeah. you're focused on the journey more than the end. And the whole movie's about Django's journey getting back to her. We don't need to see much when it gets to her. Yeah, because by the time they're there, it's like there's 30 more minutes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Django Unchained is a pretty good movie, all things considered. We love it. Yeah, it's... It's, it's like the perfect balance of, like, adventure, but, like, it's not just, like, John Wick adventure... Like, well, hang on a second. John Wick, those those movies are in a league of their own. Let's be clear here. Well, like, but, like, action-y. Like, there's action, but it's more of, like, action as far as, like... It's much more story-heavy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, one of... Some of the last things I wrote was, LOL, Australian Tarantino. Bro. Because he's kind of like Stan Lee, right? He's, like, a weird, random character in all of his movies. Well, I mean, a lot of directors do it, like, um, fuck. Such as? Uh, Peter Jackson. That's who I'm trying to think. I kept thinking Mm. Percy Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Jackson is a tiny role in every single movie he's in. (laughs) So it's like, a lot of directors do it. This is one of the most. A lot of directors do it. You listed one person. You know what? It doesn't help that Tarantino's not the best actor in the world, I guess. That's the best part! No, I think this is one of the ones where a director puts himself in the movie and he has... Lines? probably the most speaking a director has ever done that's been committed to film. And then he gets blown up. And then he gets blown up. (laughs) What I like how they have him speak a few lines and then they're like, hey, go away. We're going to have this other Australian guy be the main focus for a few minutes to distract on how fucking awful that was. Yeah. And then we're just going to blow you up. 
Um, perfectly paced. Perfect. I love that for him. Um, the last thing that I have written down is something that's always bothered me. And I feel like, honestly, it should bother everybody. Um, when he goes back to the plantation and he is there with his guns, obviously, um, and he goes, oh, so-and-so, like, say bye to Miss Laura. And then mm. he shoots the sister and he shoots her from upstairs, but she gets pulled away from the complete opposite direction. Like, it's like a fucking, what's the T? A perpendicular. Oh. What? No. 90 degree angle? No. I don't know what you mean. Is this perpendicular or this is perpendicular? That's parallel. This is perpendicular. Okay, perpendicular. Right, so he shoots her from, like, the top of the, like, one part of the T, and then she gets pulled from the other direction, and I hate it so much. See, I love it. It this is bothers where I me. Differ. I think it adds just a little bit to that, like, comedic timing and the comedic element that Tarantino has. That it's she so gets pulled from a different direction. That he shoots her and she fucking flies like ten feet back through the doorway. I think it's hilarious I and hate I it. love it. And she fucking hates it. <laughs> it does seem very like hearkening back to campy, although not intentionally so, Western mm-hmm. stuff that was all overacted and just. Yeah, so I maybe think of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and all their wire work. <laughs> it just it wouldn't bother me as much i think if i like watched an interview of like why he made that artistic choice if you knew if i knew why it was made that way if he was like then i would get it i thought it was fucking hilarious but everything has been so accurate up until this point and then all of a sudden you're just gonna not have it be accurate and you're gonna pull her ass from like a different direction like why because it was funny as fuck it was pretty funny. Shit was already she funny. She <laughs> yes, she did. She's the um, fucking worst. Speaking of an accuracy thing, the last thing I had written down was after when Django's like laying behind that bookcase doing the shootout, and then he gets up and rips his coat off. All the empty shells fall down because, and I thought that was an awesome little detail because realistically, a shit ton of empty shells would have fallen on his coat. So I thought that was a really good small detail that most directors wouldn't think to include. Or also when Samuel L. Jackson comes out and he goes, I count six bullets and he and then Django goes, I count two guns. Two guns and then you're like, oh, like, oh, shit. I like that. The only I, other thing that I kind of wanted to touch on was the fact that for as good as the last 30 minutes or so are of him, you know, blowing up Tarantino, returning to the, the plantation and sort of finally getting his revenge, it kind of felt like it should have just ended in the shootout after yep. Christoph Waltz dies. I totally agree. 100%. Like, the last 30 minutes feels tacked on. It so feels like, very separate. Reason, we need this to be long enough for... Tarantino movie, I guess. I don't know. Tarantino movies have a hard three-hour minimum. But it does follow the whole, like, hero's journey where, like, you have the climax of that shootout and then something bad happens. I mean, you're more, like, of a literary person, but, like, you have the climax and then you come back down just to, like, come back up again. 
So the last 30 minutes is like the boat scene in Return of the King that we're like, we've we've ended this movie 10 times already. We just oh, need see, to go. That, oh, that's so good when all the hobbits return to the Shire. And, I agree and that they, it's good. They have borderline PTSD. But I also agree that the movie's long. ended 10 times by now and we should just that's go. And that's so not even the extended version. That's not even the extended version. I think of The Hobbit, where they made a third movie that they shouldn't have made. Yeah. Oh, The Battle of the Five Armies. That was really bad. It was just super trendy to make split shit into hella parts, man. But that was the Salmarillion or whatever it's called. The Salmonellian. I saw that in a theater that I didn't want to go to in 48 frames per second in 3D. Wow. I don't know what any of that means, ever. except for the 3D part. Was it, like, sped up, or it was, like, slow motion? It basically looks like a soap opera. How they're all... Because soap operas are shot at higher frame rates, and it looks weird and live and everything else. Oh, that's why it looks like that? Yes. Yikes. That sounds really uncomfortable. Because your eye's only super really detecting, like, 30, 35 frames a second. Once you keep increasing it, it starts doing funky shit and gets weird. Oh, 48 per second is increasing? Yes. Yes. Oh. Like, there's literally I didn't 48 know what that frames meant. per second. Okay, great. Well, that still means nothing to me, just like the number a billion. <laughs> I'm glad we had this talk. So happy. Um, so I do feel, yeah, like what you said, the, that last 30 minutes does feel like tacked on, but I kind of feel like you do kind of have to know what happens to Django. Like he gets captured. Like that's opening like a whole. What if he just got his revenge right there and it was the end of it? He didn't though. Yeah, but what if he did? But that's not, but, but. What if they wrote it differently? (laughs) Then it would be a different fucking movie. This is a Tarantino movie. There's not happy fucking endings. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been at 90 minutes, not two and a half hours. I I feel like that's that's all I have to say about Django Unchained. Yeah, Um, I'm out of things to, like, bring up, at least. It's a great fucking movie. It's a great movie. Um, It's probably my second favorite Tarantino movie. What would be the first? Inglourious Bastards. I've only seen Django and Upwards. So I've seen that, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. John! Oh my god. You're fucking joking. With as much as you're fucking coming for Christoph Waltz, you have to watch Inglourious Bastards. I hear... I hear he's very good in that. (laughs) That's an understatement, a lot. (laughs) Honestly, and like, to bring back to what somebody said about how it was you john how you said um the like dialogue is just like a little bit off there's a part at the end you know what i'm gonna say where he's he's like talking about hitler blah 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 blah, and then he goes that's a bingo and you're like (laughs) but it's like so like german to english where it's like that's like they think that they're making the connection and that they're making the joke, but they're not. Yeah. But you're like, oh, muffin. And like, he literally, Brad Pitt's character literally says, 
It's just bingo. And also Brad Pitt in that with his like oh, Gorlami. Gorlami. <laughs> Dude, you have oh, to watch uh, that movie. Who's the guy? Eli Roth? Yes. Oh my god. You know who Eli Roth is? Of course he is. I does. know who Eli Roth is. I don't remember what he's in. So he, he's in lots of stuff, but now he's like a director. He's mainly a horror movie director, but he's in Inglorious Bastards and he plays the best fucking character where he is the bear Jew and he beats Nazis to death with a bat. With a baseball bat. And it's a fucking great because they set up this whole fucking scene around making it hilarious. Okay. Okay, but it's also Speaking good because it's like cut. Universal bad guys, you know, you have racists and now you have. Also racist. Nazis. Nazis. Yeah. It's a very congruent theme. Django is also is ultimately very similar to Inglorious Bastards. I personally am I love World War II stuff. Um, so I feel like the story writing is way better. Um, but again, like your Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie, they changed the ending of events. In Inglorious oh, Bastards. Shit out of Hitler. I know that. Okay, great. Yeah, exactly. So it's also like just very cool storytelling. I feel like you would enjoy it. You would. I also think I would enjoy it. Because the dialogue is great. It's probably on Netflix. You know what, John? It's almost 2021. You do something for you and watch that movie. Self care, John. <laughs> I'll be sure to do that. Honestly, you should do it tomorrow. <laughs> Like, as soon as possible, report back with a, a letter grade. I gotta know. I'll just wait until you guys cycle through some more guests, and then I'll just make you guys watch Inglorious Bastards. Okay, so, okay honestly, that be, sounds great. We'll just do be, every single uh, Tarantino movie with you. Yeah, exactly. That'll be our thing with John, as we do Tarantinos. I love Jackie Brown. Never seen it. I haven't seen it either. Neither have I. I would do Hateful Eight with you cat might not want to but okay but i've only watched it once and now i'm a grown-up and can appreciate (laughs) boring movies (laughs) slow ass movies wait john have you seen bone tomahawk i have not oh man you need you'd like it it's really good is that the movie Corey always talks about i don't know i don't know who's Corey? i'm just kidding (laughs) she wasn't just over here for her birthday waffles this morning that's right, it's Corey's birthday. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when this is being recorded. Depending on the day it gets published. Is it 2022 yet? Happy New Year. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. But yes, Bone Tomahawk, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson. Oh, Patrick Wilson. He's another daddy. It's fucking great. More like Kurt Russell. He's also a daddy. Christmas Chronicles. There's I so would sit daddies. on that Santa's face. <laughs> and it would be itchy. There's a lot of beard. <laughs> it would just be perfect for me right you now. You think that's beard oil. It's not. <laughs> I don't know how you guys usually end these. Because we I don't. Because <laughs> podcasts. We end them exactly like this. We end them exactly like this, like we don't know how to end it, so we just keep talking and then pepper in awkward silences. Yeah. And then someone says something and then we expand on that for too long. Yeah. So, like, I listen to Whitney Cummings' podcast and she oh, literally every single time goes, I always end these awkwardly. And, like, me as, like, a listener every single week, I'm like, I fucking know that. But, like, 
honestly, we're very awkward. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, I'll just go ahead and say... Um, <laughs> Do you guys know what you're going to watch next? Um, no, we need to figure out what our first episode is going to be. Because this will probably be the second episode. And then, I don't know. You guys are going to start the new... Uh, this is This is John... Making a pledge to you, the viewers of Are You For Real, that Kat and Connor, by the end of January of 2021, are going to watch Baby Driver and discuss it. Ooh. I'm totally okay with we, that. I did like Baby Driver. We can make that pledge. I'm going to release this in February. <laughs> Damn it. I'm joking. I'm I think joking. one of the ones we want to watch yeah. was Green Street Hooligans, right? Oh, that was going to be what we were going to do. Green Street Hooligans. That's a really Most good Most people one. have not seen it. movies that have gone under people's radar. Yeah. That aren't, like, super well-known. And then I come in here and I'm like, you guys want to talk about Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> so, I... Basic-ass bitch. Who likes to think he's a film buff and then says, like, yeah, my favorite movie Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> so I think Kat and I just have a much higher tolerance for shitty movies. <laughs> we do. And so I found this at work because I have two other people at work that I talk to... I talk movies with them and I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie was... It was pretty fucking good, man. And they're like, yeah, that was terrible. I'm like, oh, yeah, Oops. well, fuck Oops. me, right? Sister. Insidious. Sinister's a great fucking film. Ethan Hawke is a treasure. Um, one of our favorite movies is Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> we know it's awful, but it's fun. But that's why we love it's it. It's great. I like Alien. I've never seen any Alien. We own them and she still hasn't seen it. I only like Alien vs. Predator and all of the prequels. Like Prometheus oh, and Covenant. By the end of January 2021, you guys are also going to cover Alien. <laughs> All four? No. Just the first, just the first just one. Just the first one. Maybe, maybe the second one. The second one is good. Okay, I'm just going to end this really quick so we can just keep chatting. Okay, thank you for listening to Are You For Real? This has been Connor and also our special guest, John, who says Pirates of the Caribbean and not the Caribbean. Um, thank you for listening. Subscribe, review, rate, follow us on Instagram. Do that shit. Do it. Bye.